Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's getting tough out there and... You know, for the first time, I reckon a lot of us might be actually feeling the costs of living in a more tangible way than what we've heard about in the months prior to now for a couple of reasons. Like most of the mortgage increases, they've been actually applied and impacted. A lot of the headline big data stuff that the ABS get to do the CPI figures were like, that's kind of settled now and we are starting to feel it. There might be people that have had savings that are starting to be depleted. So, you know, as this kind of, we'll call it a crunch goes on and what might be a new norm, it is getting really tough out there for a lot of people. And particularly, you know, and John will talk about this uh, fixed mortgage cliff that's that we're experiencing and headed to and all that stuff. But yeah, we're gonna talk about the cost of living, mortgage costs and more today. But we can't do the Tuesday show without sharesies. Get the most value for investing regularly with three new monthly pricing plans on the sharesies app. You can pay as you go or set up a $5, $10 or $20 monthly plan. Each plan includes coverage for buy and sell orders, auto invest orders, roundups and more. So you can invest how you like. And that's a good thing because... Yes, it is tough out there, and we do need to look at all ways we can save money. This could be a way to save some money on your order fees within the Sharesies platform. Head to the Sharesies website and use the monthly fee calculator to figure out what pricing option might be best for you. So just Google Sharesies fee calculator. I used it myself, and it was pretty telling if you're a regular investor that you can actually save money by going on a monthly plan. Now, if you are new to investing, You can get $10 added to your account, ready to invest when you sign up to the Sharesies app using the exclusive promo code MMM. All investing involves risks, T's and C's and fees apply. My name's Glenn James and this guy is... John Pigeon. And this is My Millennial Money. So, John, welcome back. Uh, You're the host of the My Millennial Property Podcast with Emily Wallace. There's a question here, and in true form, I've seen it in the Facebook group, and I thought, I want to chat about this. We jumped on here to record the episode today, and you had just done a full episode on My Millennial Property about this question. Preparation's power, isn't it? That's right. So, John has prepped for half an hour just for this one question, everyone. But I want to talk about it here today as well because not everyone listens to the My Millennial Property Podcast because we're not all capitalist pigs, are we, John? No. So do you want to maybe read Fiona's question while I have a sip of my coffee? Sure. For the second time today. Hey, guys. (laughs) Do you think it's worth getting a mortgage if it means that I won't be able to save or have any spare money for dinners out, etc.? 
I met with a mortgage broker a few weeks ago and was advised that I need to cut a decent amount out of my current monthly spend. I'm looking to buy a one-bedroom apartment and I have a very healthy deposit. The issue is my wage versus current expenses. I've recently received a pay rise, so there's nothing I can immediately do to increase my wage at my current job, unfortunately. Instead of buying an apartment, should I wait and invest the deposit some other way until I'm at a point in my life where I don't have to cut out every luxury to afford a mortgage? Or is it better to get into the property market now, no matter what? Thanks very much for your thoughts. So just face value, because there's a lot there and I can see why you may have wanted to unpack that, particularly around the uh, asset purchase. Mm. Did you? I did. I unpacked it, yes. And I I got further info. I I stalked her and found her and got a little bit more to it. So, But you'll have to head over it. Yeah, (laughs) you'll have to head over it. The restraining order um, says, I've never received one of those before for stalking. But what, what do you think just face value? Like, should you cut back? And get in and get on with your life and adjust to that new norm. Yeah, and, and reading the commentary in the Facebook group was really interesting. But I, I think on face value, you've got to understand what our priorities in our life are. Are we happy to cut back on those luxuries or lifestyle items that give us contentment or enjoyment in our life? And how big a ticket item of importance is having our own home to live in and, and the concepts around being a renter? Like, can we, are we open to rent vesting? What's our risk profile? What's our long-term plan? So many things that we unpacked half an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you think? Look, it's, um, I think, you know, the way that interest rates are at the moment, they're kind of back to the stage that they were when I bought my first home. So, which might be AKA the long-term norm or kind of, you know, because when interest rates are 1.8%, that's not normal and they were only going up. So a couple of things there. One of the reasons that we do buy a house to live in, and particularly if you are, if you see a financial advisor and you want to you know, get retirement planning, one of the things that an advisor, I think a, a decent or good advisor would want to ensure is that when you stop working, if at all possible, that you own your house. Now, The reason why we want to own where we live is because we're not ever going to get any increased accommodation costs. Now, within that, if you do want to look to buy and get into the market now, Fiona, I don't think we're going to see the savage, you know, three or 4% interest rate rise that we have seen over the last two years there could be some stability coming if it's not already, you know, and there's tipped to be one more interest rate rise this year in September, uh, which is next month, of course. But I think we're at kind of a uh, tipping point with rates maybe flattening out. So that there's some solace there if you are going into the apartment. And hopefully over time, your accommodation costs will stabilise because if interest rates aren't crazily increasing over the next two years, I would assume over the next two to three to four years, your career will progress and you'll get a higher salary anyway. So when you do buy to live in, in the first instance, you can kind of really settle your accommodation costs. And I think there's a broader discussion around because it is such a tight rental market 
that stability in your life, Fiona, and if that is of value to you. And if that stability about, well, I don't want to have to move out or whatever, you know, sign another six-month lease or if they want to sell the property and there's other people coming through to look at it, to buy, like all that stuff in my world, it's worth all the money in the world because I just, I actually hate renting, John. Like I rent at the moment and I hate it. You know, I think we shared last time, did I share last time we recorded last week about the, um, I put it on Instagram, like there was a maintenance issue and the property manager doesn't reply to me. Never, never has the property manager answered a call, never has the property manager answered a text message. So I text the property manager and owner in a group iMessage, owner got it. Yep. Sorry. I'll get onto her. Still haven't heard. Like it, anyway, property managers are awesome. She might just be overworked and all that. So if you want to remove all that out of your life, yeah, suck it up. Cook dinner five nights a week and go out for one night a week and then have cereal the other night. Like make it happen. Get into that property. Um, Because, you know, the planets have to align. Like, so for me at the moment, John, if I was to buy in this area that I'm living, my cost to live in the accommodation would literally double overnight. If you went high level on paying $1,000 a week in rent, that's equivalent to a million dollar mortgage at 5%. Pretty much. Yeah, Yeah. so whatever. I'm paying $1,000 a week at the moment and I did some numbers with a deposit it's probably, yeah, going to cost two grand a week, eight grand a month-ish or whatever. And I mean, that's a lot of freaking money and I'm not prepared to pay that to, to live in a house. But So that, that can I just park there for a minute because this is the whole Fiona question, isn't it? It's like there's no one size fits all. When, when Glenn says, my property manager won't return my calls and I'm all shitty about renting, I look to the other side of the coin and you've got to double your outgoings to, to live under a similar roof. Yeah, or move locations. Yeah, or to go out 10K further or 5K or, or go into a smaller house or, or apartment or, yeah. So the, it's a lifestyle thing. Yes. So it's always lifestyle versus financial mm. and, and it's no different for Fiona. The concern I, I have here for Fiona is she lives in Brisbane Oh, you've found that out? Yeah. And she wants the mortgage maximum 500K purchase, which is a one-bedroom apartment in Brisbane. That She won't be able to get a two-bedder for that. So my concern is with the asset type, not mm. necessarily the fact that she wants to own her own home. Now, as I said on the show, if, if, her, if she hasn't got a real concern for wealth creation and just wants security in her life and have a roof over her head. Yeah, knock yourself out. Absolutely go for it. Mm. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, so I think, look, what were the overarching comments through the Facebook comments? Like was it just suck it up and do it? Uh, No, it wasn't. There was majority were probably going the other way saying, look, why are you impacting your lifestyle? You've got to enjoy your life sort of thing. I think that was the majority. There was, there was one interesting one, which I'll actually read out. She says, uh, this lady, Melody, says, when I built my first house, interest rates went up to over 9% and I usually had $13 left per fortnight after my bills were paid and food purchased, but it got my foot in the door and set me up for a great financial future. It was personally worth it to me. Now, I read that and said, well, 
that's cutting it fine. That's cutting it very fine. But obviously, Melody's true focus and value was to have a roof over her head and grow financial wealth through that property. But the other part of it I took from that is, well, okay, 10 years on or 20 years on, she's now reaping the rewards for that. And I think that's a really important aspect is think 10, 15 years, don't think 10 to 15 months. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what I was getting at with the uh, locking in accommodation costs um, because you're going to have more control. So realistically, if we broke it down, Fiona has to look on one side of the coin. If you're happy where you're renting at the moment, you've got a good lifestyle and maybe looking to buy an apartment was due to the fact that it's a genuine goal. Like I want to buy a house to live in and paint that wall and live by myself. Because remember, we can't have a flatmate in a one better unless they're a special friend who, you know, stays over sometimes and all that. So you you really are restricted. And if you work from home, like it's going to get old really fast. So yeah, you're you're happy where you're renting long-term. It's all good. And you're going to cause all this chaos and stress in your life just to do what everyone says to buy a house to live in. Yeah, you don't do it in a million years. But if it's the complete opposite, I'm sick of moving around. I hate living with people. I'm happy in the short term to go into a bit of a pinch and be a bit tight, but I've removed all that other pain. And the shoe does fit. Like it's where I want to live. The rent isn't double the mortgage costs and all that stuff. Like I'm into the situation. I think do it. But whatever you do, it's just that being strategic and having a goal. And if you are happy to rent where you are, maybe it's a two better that you're renting and you do have a healthy deposit, that discussion is, okay, well, we need to put that wealth in your life to work. And if you do have an appetite to buy a property to live in, you'll effectively become a rent vester. Interesting you spoke before about guaranteeing your cost of living because you've paid down your mortgage and you've got no, yeah, uh, and, and that's all cool, totally get it. In an oversupplied market, which has happened a lot of times with assets like a one-bedroom apartment, rents don't increase. So we've got to take that into account. I know from personal experience that in the last 10 years, one-bedroom apartments in Brisbane might have gone from 400 to 450 in 10 years. Property prices have also done that. They've gone from 400 to 450 and are still that today. So understand it's the asset that's the critical part there for wealth, but also from a renting point of view, you can go and live in some cheap accommodation if you're, if you're not a family, if you're not planning on have a family and, and you just want the lifestyle component of walking to everything and, uh, and having everything at your doorstep. Mm. Did you ask if there was a, a partner involved or is uh, Fiona a single? I look, there's a little doggy there in the little profile photo. Yeah, no, it, uh, sounds of it's single. When I went to 10 to 15 years' time, she's like, wouldn't have a clue. So, right, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Look, I think it's a good discussion point. If the shoe, if the planets align and it's a decent apartment and a good deal, and, and this is, and let's segue into this next discussion about cost of living. And then I, I might ask you about this fixed rate cliff after that, John. If it is that discussion where I've done my budget and my weekly spend is X amount, and if I do this and allow for a little bit of a mortgage increase, I legitimately can't go to brunch on Saturday and Sunday. So that means I've got to cut one brunch down 
I'm happy to do that. That's a sacrifice. Most people in this life who have achieved anything good have sacrificed at something. Would that be a fair comment? That would be an extremely fair comment. I think, um, and yeah, again, I did talk a bit about that, well, bit of short-term pain for, for long-term gain and, and you adjust your lifestyle, don't you? Yeah, because realistically, if a brunch was $30, you know, that's $1,500 a year. That's $130 a month. That might be your insurance. That could be, yeah, the insurance or, you know, Strata or whatever. So, yeah, I, I just think... You just got to do the numbers. If it is borderline and it's just like, oh, if I do this, I won't be able to actually live. That's a problem, particularly because the 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 loan will service on the income. So I assume that she's talking about the luxuries, right? So you might decide that, okay, well, if I do this, I can't do brunch once a week or I've got to stop the PT and just do classes at the gym or something. So those trade-offs, yeah, shut up and do that. Um, like we have to make choices in life. But just talking on this cost of living thing, the reason why I was running a bit late and not heaps prep today, John, is I was down the road at a cafe and great cafe, love it. And I had to go to a, a pharmacy and I'm like, oh, I'll just drop in here and get what I need and then go get lunch. Anyway, Went in. I'm like, yeah, I'll have the cheeseburger or the burger and the side of fries, right? So the side of fries was $4.50. The burger came out and it was awesome. Love the burger. Oh, so good. I love a burger. The burger was $23. The side of fries were $4.50. And I think I counted 12 fries. Now, and this is the tipping point that I think we're actually have arrived at in our society. We've got a small business who's trying to do an awesome job and legitimately make money. But because the costs and the wages and everything is so savage, I'm paying $23 for a flippant burger, which was delicious. And the fries, the side of fries were 15 individual, fr- like there weren't many fries. And for, so I walked out, paid $27.50 and I didn't even have a drink. I just had the table water, right? I'm more talking about this one from a customer experience point of view, just make the burger and fries $26, just bury the costs. But I was just more pissed off that <laughs> I paid $4.50 for what? How many fries? Um, I didn't even want to work out like that that was 60 cents a fry or something like that. So that's the dance, right? Like how do we support local businesses and still enjoy our life? And and I guess it probably goes down to that avocado toast thing, but, you know, it's tough out there and I do want to support local businesses and I get it, but you can easily spend $30 going out for brunch. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Brunch and then lunch in your case. So what about unemployment? Like we're at a situation where it's great to have this low unemployment, but it may be flowing on to the end consumer because at the minute, a lot of people can pick and choose where they where they work and demand high price per hour to go and work there, which may make your fries $4.50 instead of $4 or $3.50. Mm. So yeah. there's that part of it as well. 
I, I don't know, like I was literally driving yesterday thinking, Australia is great. I love living in Australia. But gee, it's a frigging joke with property prices and, you know, the actual structural things. Like how hard is it for people to get a leg up? Like it's, I don't know, John, I'm just, and what I actually, just to pick your brain and maybe we'll camp here for five minutes, this whole, what, what's your view on this rental cap thing? Yes, I have a view. I have okay. a view. What is that? Because I think I'm less of a capitalist pig these days because it's just ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, as, a, as a property investor, a two-year rental freeze doesn't excite me, I'll be honest. I listened to the Home Affairs Minister and the Shadow Minister talk over each other this morning mm -hmm. and basically blame each other and say, look, you should have, you've had 10 years to fix this. Now we've been in power 18 months and now we're actually fixing it and, but it's being opposed and blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, there are not enough houses in Australia. Which is a state issue. Well, it's a national and then a state issue, isn't it? So... The, the states control the the release of um, funds, but then the local councils uh, um, restrict how quickly they come out of the ground. Yeah, but then you. But it's also more of a state issue because you've got infrastructure. Like, yeah, the local council can't build a tram line or highway upgrade to get the infrastructure. Yeah, so it's a national thing to say. Yeah, we're committing X amount of dollars to new homes state level, right, infrastructure, everything else, then local council, how quickly can we approve these developments, right? So if we had, because we're falling short by about 10,000 homes a year. So let's say we we're building 12,000 a year. There's two extra thousand homes a year getting, getting built and there's more option for owner occupiers. That brings the house price down or, or it keeps it level. It doesn't accelerate like one bedroom apartments have done for the last 10 years. There haven't been an undersupply, therefore prices haven't risen. So therefore tenants have more options to go and rent something because there's more homes available, which again doesn't spark the rental increase that we've, we've experienced. So when I, I said before that one bedroom apartment, it's gone from 400 to 450 Houses like the house you're living in now, ten years ago would have been five hundred a week. Now it's a thousand a week. That's purely because there's been a spike in house prices of the type of house that you're living in, which is a three or four bedroom house around the country on five hundred square of land or whatever it is. Like it's it's just the the land value thing. So the rent freeze for two years is actually going to make it worse for the housing affordability because an investor like me will say, all right, I can't put my rent up for two years, but the council are going to continue to put rates up, insurance is going to continue to go up, and all my costs are going to continue to go up. Um, so I'm going to sell. So who am I going to sell it to? Well, over 70% of buyers that buy property in Australia are owner occupiers. So I buy it to some first home buyer or someone that's getting into the market to live in their own home, therefore I'm reducing the amount of properties available to tenants. So the poor old end user is affected. The first home buyers that have bought that property are no longer tenants anyway. No, I know, but the population's growing and immigration's growing. 
therefore we can't keep up and it comes back to how many houses are being built. Yeah, and I think when you get political and hear either side of the argument, the actual issue is supply. However, I'm probably okay with a 12 or 18-month rent freeze. I'm okay with 12. Yeah. Because that's what it should be anyway. Yeah, well, that's right. I'm okay even with a percentage increase. Like, it cannot increase more than 10%. I'm even saying this as a property owner, but also as a, a, a tenant, yeah, I'm okay if they go, yeah, you can't increase the rent. Like, I probably don't increase the rent in my properties annually anyway. I'm, I'm just not going to, like, who cares? Just live in it, look after the property. But I'm probably, and this will never get up, but I'm probably also okay with, we didn't talk about it last time with CGT, we didn't get to it, but I'm probably also okay with tweaking the CGT discount, even to 25%, not 50%. I told you, I'm not a capitalist pig anymore. I'm a... I don't know what I am because I'm, I'm not like socialist. Like I think the government needs to get out of the freaking way and not be involved in every part of our lives. But when we're talking about the structural stuff, it can't be that – like it's easy for me to go and buy two properties tomorrow than it is for someone to buy their first property. Okay. I'll give you an option. Mm-hmm. Keep the investment CGT ruling at 50%. Mm-hmm. and put the owner-oc CGT to 25% or invest a 50% down to 25% and leave the owner-oc exempt. Sorry, so exempt owner-oc and yep. put investor to 25. down to 25%. Like you mentioned. Yep. yep. Or keep investor where it is and owner-oc You'd never get that's it, It's a non-starter. You're not ever going to get owner-oc to be CGT, like to taxable. Would that be a better outcome? Well, I don't know. And this is the hard thing. Like we're not economists. I just think something has to change. And and everyone's like, oh, Glenn, like why don't you sell your homes and do all that? Well, it doesn't change the fact. Like there's three families that live in my properties, right? All in the one single bed apartment. <laughs> <laughs> But like I've honestly offered two people that are close in my life who aren't in their first home yet to literally use equity mm. to secure their first home, which you advised against that, but I did it anyway. Yeah, um, that's generally the case. Yeah, because I'm like, I'm in such a good position, I need to be able to help someone else. Yeah, and that's noble of you. Uh, but back to your point, if you reduce the CGT from 50% to 25% for investors, what are investors going to do? Well, I c- I'm probably still going to be an investor. I don't care. Yeah. Because I'm not a greedy bitch. Uh, okay. What are the majority going to do? Probably not invest. Walk. Yeah. yeah. And if Which, they walk, hmm. guess what happens to the poor old tenant? They get to buy the house for cheaper, Johnny. <laughs> no, they do not because there's an undersupply. They are on the streets and I spoke about this in the property episode is yeah. the homelessness is over 120,000 in Australia now and it's going to get worse while this rubbish goes on. Yeah, and I, look, I don't have the answer 
No, I know, but it's good to thrash out and yeah, just yeah. put in perspective. And neither do you. No. And I think this is the problem. Like we're both property investors, but we can see it from both sides of our own coins. Totally. But I just know that it's just like you just look at other places. Like Australia's got to be the most expensive part of the world almost to buy a home to live in. Mm. Like yeah. out loud, $700,000 for a garden variety three-bedroom house that's probably 30 years old, that's wild. But it all goes back to supply. Yep, 100%. And, and we do have the power to, to... And for the last 20 years, every single government has thrown money at the home industry around election cycles. So the whole thing's a Ponzi scheme. Either side of politics, they've thrown money. Like I've got first homeowner grant, people have got stamp duty exemptions and all that. And I get it from a state point. That's probably maybe a bit more noble from a state point, but I don't know. Mm. I don't. Yeah, good, um, good chat. <laughs> but anyway, all that to say, you've got to pick your luxuries. And when you are getting micro on your cost of living and your budget, you've got to just pay more and more attention. And John and I were talking about this before we hit record. John's, you know, I think Amy, you are saying she works full-time now where didn't anticipate that before, you know, building a house at the worst time in the world to build a house with costs and all that. Everyone, regardless whether you're Fiona working out what to do or if um, things are getting tight, you have to get micro. And one of the scripts, for example, I've written down like, pharmacy costs. Like if you're going to pharmacies, and this is the dance that I personally struggle with. I love supporting small businesses. Like I just, the pharmacy that I went to just before down on Derby Street, got some medication. It was like $35, right? Chemist Warehouse, $19. So I know that Chemist Warehouse was cheaper, but I'm like, oh, I'm here. I can't be able to driving up there. I'll support, like I literally did it. Yeah, I'll just support local business. Like, but if you, you've just got to pick your battles. Will I be getting a burger and paying $27.50 for lunch again? Probably not because the psychological factor is just ridiculous. Like that's an hour's worth of work for some people. And so we're really at a tipping point. And what does the small business owner do when they're trying to run a business? The pharmacy's trying to run a business, you know, because in business you make money by selling things for more than what you pay for it, then covers expenses equals profit, right? These big chemist warehouse and all that, sure, they're probably selling the medication for a dollar over cost or something, and it's a volume game, and it's probably destroying a whole heap of other small businesses. And like you go into the chemist warehouse now, and it's like a just thinking, am I doing ads for chemist warehouse at the moment? I don't know, but whatever. Don't care, I'll take any other money. But um, yeah, it's like a supermarket, right? And that's why I love CVS in America. Oh, so fun. But so it's it's a volume game. It's getting people in there, get their scripts. But also while they're in there, oh, I'll buy some sunscreen. And, you know, I'm Chemist Warehouse, it, you might be getting taken for a ride on something that's on the shelf where it could be cheaper at Woolworths. But be, so I don't know. All I'm saying is you've got to pick your costs. And one thing I've been crapping on about for a while now is planning when you fuel up and using fuel apps. This will save you money. I used a fuel app the other day. Guess what, John? I reckon I saved $20 a tank. Did you? And uh, can I ask, is that like an Ampol one or is it a general fuel app that covers all? Okay, so 
It is. The one I use, but I'm just about to swap. I know that you can, like, they've all got them now. If I go to BP, oh, no, 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 sorry. I'm getting confused. The Fuel app is the whole see the price and plan your trip around it. Yeah. So I know with like, I think the 7-Eleven one, you can go, oh, that's cheaper. I'll lock in that price or Ampel might have one. Um, but I use personally at the moment, I've been using the state-based New South Wales government one called Fuel Check. But, 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 but everyone, let's give Zach Simone a shout out. Zach, I think you've reached out a couple of times and I'm really sorry. I don't think there's, there's a whole episode in it for you, Zach, um, but I'll give you a shout out now. Zach's developed an app called Petty. Right. An app I make, which he believes is the epitome of fuel tracking apps for most Australians. He does say Victorian NT don't heaps um, make accurate pricing available, but I'm going to go to the app store now. Everyone, you do this as well, John. All right, what's it? P-E-T-T-Y. P-E-T-T-Y. That's my nickname for you, John, Petty. Here we go. Petty fuel, live data, trends and all that stuff. Downloading Petty, there you go. So everyone. It mustn't be on Sam's Android. Uh, he sent a link to the Apple store. He may have said that it's only on Apple, but whatever. Open Petty. So what's the New South Wales one like? Oh, it's fine. It just tells you. But anyway, so I'm looking at Petty. You get 90 days of data, price comparison for all petrol types. Oh, it's only $5 a year. So mm-hmm. there you go. I'll just subscribe. Good on um, There you go. <laughs> you can have my four ninety nine, Zach, less 30% to Apple. Done. My purchase was all set. Yeah, so I've got stations all around me. Oh, this is actually cool. It's got, anyway, everyone get on Petty, pay $5 to Zach, who's a listener of My Millennial Money, uh, particularly if you're in New South Wales or Queensland or anywhere but Victoria and Northern Territory, because it's not as accurate, he tells us. Pay the $5, you'll pay that, you'll earn that back within two fuel ups, easy. So you just have to get micro with your spending because you get results anywhere in life you get results with what you pay attention to, right? Charlie, my youngest, is going to be wrapped with this. I'm just on the wiki, uh, what's that, wiki camps one? I have any, no idea what you're talking about. Any case, I'm on an app. The cheapest in our area at the moment is a dollar eighty nine because he looks at the petrol prices and informs me. The most expensive is two dollars twenty four. Yeah, well, get your kids to download Petty. Thirty five cents. Well, I can't because I'm on Android. Mm. But in any case, yeah. yeah. 35 cents, a lot of money. No, that's up. Like, honestly, mm. got to get micro energy costs if you can review. I've even, you know, because I think last time we talked, my power bill for the month went from $180 to 230 I got the old gas heater out now because I'm pretty sure gas is cheaper than burning coal, uh, both trashing the planet. But, hey, it's my planet too, guys. Back off. Um, anyway, we've got to move on. We've, it's been almost 40 minutes. We haven't had a break, but there's a quick question here from Joe. Apologies in advance for the seemingly obvious question. I think I've got, I think I've thought about it too much and confused myself. If I buy 10 grand worth of, worth of an ETF, if its value drops to $8,000, then increases to 9,000, does this mean anything for tax? If I don't sell it, actualize, crystallize anything, if yes, is it a 1K loss or 1K income? 
The answer is no, you have not sold those units. So you maybe bought 10,000 units worth a dollar a unit in an ETF, which is $10,000. In two years time, it goes to eight grand, then five grand, then back up to 11, then back up to 12, then maybe down to nine. If you don't sell it or don't do anything, it doesn't mean anything for a CGT thing. So there you go. You've, you did overcook that in your mind, Joe. We'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about how to get out of debt, community section of the week. And also I might get John to finish on this fixed rate cliff stuff. But uh, if you're still listening, thanks for putting up with us. Hey, and if you do listen and you like our podcast, we're just a small business having a, having a dig over here. Why don't you jump on Apple or Spotify, Google and leave us a little review. And what the challenge is, if you're on Apple, I want you to leave a review and you've got to use the code word apricot or monkey when you're writing the review. All right. So you have to write a review, five star. No, it's serious. It's going to make it fun because if someone reads all the reviews, they're going to be like, why is everyone saying apricot or monkey? So they're the two code words. You can either choose apricot or monkey when you leave a five star review. You can be like, oh, I love this podcast like a monkey loves eating an apricot. You just got to make up some creative with the two code words, monkey or apricot. That's a new thing we're starting, code words in reviews, because it's going to be fun. Okay, we'll be back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the community section of the week. We can't do this section without skywealth.com.au forward slash MMM. John, do you know how you've got trauma cover and I've got trauma cover? Yes. Friend of mine, I'm going to get her on the show. Mm. The other day, two months ago, she found a melanoma on her and it got that bad. She got a full trauma payout. Really? Yeah, it's wild. So I sent... Everyone, she's like, oh, everyone's asking me where to get trauma cover. I'm like, skywealth.com.au forward slash MMM. Because you need an advisor to set it up. And um, it was funny because she got the melanoma. I assisted a little bit with the claim forms because I set her policies up years ago, right? Yep, yep. 
And she said, oh, Zurich called. And they, they said they weren't covering melanoma. I'm like, what? So I got on the phone, three-way call with um, <laughs> the claims assessor. I'm like, hey. I got, you know who I am? Yeah, I got old mate on the phone here. What, what the hell's going on? And basically she misheard him and he's like, look, it's not covered under the partial definition because it's so bad. We're assessing it for a full claim. Yeah. So yeah, it's just crazy. So, I mean, that stuff will kill you, cancer. So mm. you just can't mess around. Totally. And all that to say, get sky.com.au forward slash MMM, get some life income insurances in place and talk to them about trauma insurance. For those who got out of debt, what's the number one piece of advice you have for those other people who want to do the same. Anna, you're not missing out on anything by not buying it. Plenty of uh, support there for Anna's statement there. Poppy J said, face your debt, write it down and add it up. Own the choices that you got there without blame and judgment. Make the choice to change, to make better choices. This is a really important step. If you choose not to do better, you'll continue to make poor choices. Be accountable. Good luck with a love heart. That's like anything. With my Coke, no sugar addiction, I had to own it. I was like, this is not helping. There, this is a problem. It's not good. And I'm like, I'm not being judgmental and all that stuff. Just had to solve it. Same if you, you know, smoke the old lung lollies or cancer sticks and all that stuff. You got to own it. Melanie said, savings is not savings if you have debt. Boom. Michelle, flood your brain with podcasts and videos about how to get out of debt and how to grow wealth. Stop sending frivolously. Know exactly where money is going and earn more money. Tracking money and earning more were the biggest factors that helped me not only get out of debt, but have tens of thousands in savings. Mm -hmm. Danny said, consolidate and prioritize. Might disagree with you, but whatever. It's your show, Danny. Keep consuming content that keeps you on the right financial track. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, in my book, John, when I talked about the steps to get out of debt, you know what the first step was? Um, manage your money. Understand no. what's, what's coming in. No, no, you're wrong. No. No, what was it? Tell me. I don't know. I've got to have a look. I, <laughs> I think it was... Usually when you ask a question or something. Yeah, it was leading the, the witness. Answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, you I thought think I'd was, read your book. I thought it was something more philosophical. My five steps to get out of debt. And everyone, if you've got my book, page 16, sort your money out. You can get that anywhere you buy good books. I was going to go into Big W and sign some, but I thought I might get done for graffiti. Step one, you've got to hit rock bottom and decide no more debt. So similar to what Poppy was saying, like you have to be resolved that this ain't good. Like something has got to change. I am so done with this. It's all consuming this consumer debt. Number two, get a money system in place and focus on that only. So the first two steps, we haven't even started to go into attack mode yet. We're like, one, I'm over this and I categorically know it. And within that, it's stop getting more debt. Like at least if you went for one month and just stopped getting debt, that's awesome. So forget that you got debt. We'll get to that, but stop it. Let's then get a money system. Then I want you to start an emergency fund of say $2,000 and we haven't even paid anything. Keep, strip it all back to minimum repayments. 
then commence a debt snowball. And then the fifth step to get out of debt is know your financial reason for living and that is to smash the debt. So that's all you got to do. Hit rock bottom, decide no more debt, get a money system in place and we'll segue into our housekeeping segment now. The Glenn James Spending Plan, there is no cost anymore to do that. So you can download that, change your life overnight, get a money system in place. You've got no excuse now because I'm giving you a budgeting tool and spreadsheet, then get into an emergency fund, commence the debt snowball, and then your whole reason for existing financially is to smash the debt. Looking forward to be able to say, in my book I wrote. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about that soon. We do have a webinar coming up. And this is the interesting part about uh, what we do here at My Millennial Money. Like, we've got a vast variety of listeners with everyone at different stages, everyone at different ages, everyone at different incomes. So if you have got an interest in actually buying an investment property, if you are like Fiona and maybe want to consider rent vesting, there's a webinar coming up with Rachel Kroon, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago with John and Joe Carroll from Sphere Home Loans. We send a lot of our listeners to Sphere Home Loans because they just look after people, great reviews. And they're doing a webinar and they're talking about investment lending, but they're going to cover topics such as rent vesting, how to use equity in your own home, how you set up the loan setups and all that stuff, how investing can impact your ability to upsize. So if you do have an owner-occupied and you want to buy another property, what the implications are there, and then some tips about how to get ready. There's a link in the show notes to that webinar. Now, another one we're going to mention in this housekeeping, John, is I'm personally going to do a webinar. Wow. That is unplanned. You know that spreadsheet with all the months and we've got everyone's webinars in there? Yeah. Who have you taken? No one. I'm just I'm doing an extra one. Oh, cool. Now, but it's not a webinar, John. Webinars are dumb. They sound boring. It's a digital workshop. You're videoing it, aren't you? No, no, no. I'm doing a live digital workshop called Money in Your 20s. Cool. And that's going to happen on September the 4th on Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Digital workshop money in your 20s. And I'm going to do that. There'll be also a link in the show note. So if you've got someone in your life who is crap at managing money, they're not going to listen to you. What do you know? But send them to me and I'll tell them they're crap at managing money, right? So yeah, digital workshop money in your 20s. That's coming. Oh, funny. I just actually got an email from the estate uh, manage, property manager. <laughs> Dear Glenn, our records indicate that the following invoice was due and requires full payment. It was the water one for the quarter. I wrote back last week and said, I'll pay when they fix the property. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be the worst tenant. Oh, it's like, you want your $120? How about you fix the broken light? <laughs> then I'll pay it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and when they go for a rent review, 1100 now. Yeah, gosh. Oh, what am I doing with my life? All right, let's move on. So, John, talk to us about this mortgage cliff crap. Fixed rate cliff. Yeah, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. So, let's uh, – a bit of a backstory, I suppose. 
pre-COVID, before interest rates fell dramatically, fixed rates were about 15% of total loans taken out. So we got fixed and we got variable. So 15% and the rest was variable, which makes it 85% variable, Glenn. Fast forward through COVID, we've now had around 45 to 46% who fixed their rates through that period. So the question was always, well, when these people come off those fixed rates, 46% of them, what's going to happen is all hell going to break loose. And majority of them were taken out with a term of three years or less. Right. So the smart ones went five because I think, and I was talking to a broker the other day, you could get, ING had five years at 1.89. So they're not worrying about their loan for another two years yet, right, um, which is pretty wild. Now, you, you mightn't be at offset and there's all those negatives to it, but there's a lot of positives. That I don't know. If I could get money for 1.89 for five years without an offset, I'd probably take it going You'd out probably take. there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so that's basically the long and short, the backstory around it. Now, because a lot of these loans are three years or less, a lot of them are expiring this year to the tune of 880,000 of them, right? There's still another 450,000 next year, but the cliff that they expected up until now has not occurred, right? Those that have come off them have started to deal with them okay. The question I would have is it's okay for now because we've saved these buffers through that period, but let's think about it in 12 months' time because the average uh, interest rate at the minute for fixed rates now 5.66, which is still not too bad, but it's about on a, on a $550,000 mortgage, it's gone up about $1,100 a month from May 21, so two years or two and a half years, two and a bit years. Uh, but, yeah, the graphs are showing in that period or this year and the expectations over the next sort of 12 months that the the cliff isn't as – it's not a it's, – it's like a mound, not a cliff. So there you go. That's, uh, that's the assessment. So for you, if you're listening and you've come off a fixed rate, tell us your story. See how you're handling it and and – what sort of buffers you've got up your sleeve. And you can write into Johnny Pigeon's fixed <laughs> rate cliff, GPO box 375 in your capital city. Mm. There's a question here from Andrew. Hey, everyone. How much did it cost to reseal a shower? I'm selling my PPOR and the building inspector to their credit picked up a water leak in the bathroom, which is leaking into a bedroom sharing a wall. Common thing, right? I'm curious if anyone has renovated and has a good idea of what this would cost. I mean, what's your view of that face value? Because I've got some comments and like every comment I make, I'll say it with 100% confidence, even though I might not know the answer. If a building inspector, sometimes different to a builder, um, they, once they rip it apart and find that it wasn't that bad or it's worse, whatever. So I think the needs, I would always get a second look at it from from a builder that does this on a regular basis, not necessarily a building inspector. Not saying that they were incorrect, but that's what I'd be doing. I was just going to say to finish that is if it's leaking into the bedroom, there's a pretty good chance that there's a problem. I'm probably just cutting a hole in the bedroom wall myself first and just having yeah. a look because it could even be the back of the, the tap itself. Correct, yeah. So, As opposed to a, a, a seal in the waterproofing that's, you know, the wood yeah, is damaged. on yeah. the tiles or whatever. So yeah. 
how how much did it cost to you, you to reseal a shower? Depends is basically the answer to that. Yeah, because the problem is like you pull that thread and you're retiling. Mm. And you keep pulling that thread. Well, we've had to retire. Oh, the vanity's rooted anyway. Oh, like 20 grand later, you're done. Mm. Now, what I would probably also do is I'm, because I am a little bit handsy. <laughs> Handy, whatever the word is. Um, we're all friends here, aren't we? Handsy with others, yeah. With Go other on. showers. No, no, what I would probably do, because oh, this reminds me. I've got to actually a blue bay on one of the inspection reports. They said, oh, the the, sh- the floorboards are a little bit swollen outside the shower. I'm like, oh, great. So I'm just going to go and say, hey, can I cut a hole in this wall? Because I just need to see. Because I'm so the reason I wanted to touch on this because I'm literally going through the same problem at the moment. I'd be cutting a hole in the wall and having a look. Like, either way, you, you probably got three options, right? Option number one, do nothing and disclose it and expect 20 grand to be taken off the price. Also, if you can get under the house, if it is on slab or whatever, see if you can crawl under. Like did they visualise this from crawling under the floor space or is there a big water stain at the bottom in the bedroom next door? Like if it is frigging everywhere and they probably didn't say in the report that the timber's damaged underneath it. You can do nothing, disclose it. Yeah, the bathroom needs fixing. Probably expect 20 grand less or whatever, right? The next option is probably, yeah, cut a hole in the wall and get a diagnosis. And if we can cut a hole in the wall and see that, oh, that physical tap is actually dripping, there could be a repair of the back of the tap because I had that problem at Snakehaven once. There was water dripping downstairs at the back door. And it was because the tap from the bathroom upstairs behind the cabinet was, I had to fix it. So it could be the tap. Yeah. Or you do stage one and diagnose it. And then you just disclose, yeah, we've had to reach, we've left that hole there. There is a leak. We're not fixing it. Or say to the agent, hey, if we did throw 15 grand at this bathroom, and just redid it all, would that do anything major with the price, the sale price? Yeah, and I'm interested not just for Andrew but for everyone listening, uh, when we're selling a property, I personally would get a building inspection done on it before I put it to market. So I, I, I can pick up any of these little things along the way. Now, if, if this is your building inspector, Andrew, has done this for you before you take it to market, Outstanding. Well done on being proactive in that. If it's someone else's building inspector that's looking to buy your home, then already there's a bit of caution from the from the purchase or potential purchaser that might say, okay, we're taking some money off this uh, offer. So one of my properties that Dirty Mike rented off me, and I feel like strangling the guy, like the grout in the shower had worn away, right, on the floor. So I, I, had to, I get it re-grouted and I think I used like Mega Seal or something like that. And I think it was like a thousand bucks or something. And they reckon these Mega Seal type companies, so they came in, they cut all the grout out, re-grouted it and sealed it or whatever. Because when they came to quote it, they had some water detector meter 
And they're like, oh, there's five parts of water here and, oh, it's a bit damp here. So the water is spreading through the grout bed mm. or the, um, what do they call it? The, what's under the floor of the sh- in the bathroom? The So anyway, they, they brought the power thing in and they said, oh, there's, um, there's water here. It's, you know, getting into the screed and all that stuff. And it's, and I'm like, all right, well, let's just try these first because I don't want to just pull up all these tiles and have to re-waterproof and all that. So Kim in the group said we had it recently in our IP and we were looking around 7 and 8K to rip out the shower and repair to the leak. So I think it just really, you've got to get it diagnosed. That's going to be the answer. Yeah. Like what is it? Because I'd rather hopefully repair a tap and a bit of plaster on the other side than dick around with the shower itself. Uh, Final quick question. Jessica said, hi, everyone. I'm looking at selling my property to a family member who is the current tenant. This was the agreement all along to help someone who has always looked after me. They weren't able to purchase originally due to being a single parent, two dependents, low income. I do not wish to make money off the sale of the property. I've had it for six years. Are there any implications to selling the property for what's left owing on the mortgage, including fees, et cetera? The mortgage is around 190 grand. So do you want to just chat about that, John? All right. So implications of selling for what's left on the mortgage, potentially there is. Mm. Well, categorically, you could say. Yeah. Worst case scenario. Because the ATO may say, well, hang on a minute, you've got an investment property and you're wanting to sell it for maybe half of what it's actually worth and you're trying to avoid capital gains tax here Mm. would be devil's advocate, first question. So that's, that's one issue. The second issue is, well, not that it affects you, but it's now the new sale price for that type of property in the area, which brings everyone else's property values down um, because they're going off comparable sales. In terms of fees- But also whatever yeah, about that's, the other person. Yeah. yeah, if you've got no thought about anyone else in the world, that's fine. Uh, but in terms of fees and agents, right, agent, do your job, sell the property, doesn't need to because I can just sell it internally, no agent fee, so I'm saving on that. I'll still need a contract drawn up, so you still need a conveyancer. But other than that, it's a pretty straightforward transaction as long as you're good for the money and the, the contract's legal. There's only one thing that you didn't cover and that's the stamp duty. The stamp duty on the way in will be deemed for the buyer at market rates. And I actually... And this is, I don't know, just an interesting one to chat about because I actually don't know the answer. I thought it would be a lesser issue for the ATO because you don't have to sell things at market price. Like I know when it comes to stamp, they're going to say, look, and that's what she might say, hey, I'll sell it to you uh, for 190. You'll have to get a a bigger loan to pay the stamp duty because the stamp duty is going to be deemed at market rates unless they're a first home buyer and they don't have to pay it, but it, it is a beneficial change of ownership. So we know that it will tick a stamp duty, mm. but you're probably maybe only costing $1,500 to go to a lawyer or a conveyancer to, to do the um, the contracts up and yeah, uh, because you'll need to deal with, you know, PEXA and all that with the bank and the mortgage and 
and whatnot when it settles. Yeah. So if you sell, this is from the ATO, right? If you sell, transfer or gift property to a family or friends for less than it is worth, your capital gains tax is based on the market value of the property. Yeah, okay. So they are deeming it. Yeah. Well, there you go. Good stuff. Learning, learning. I just haven't had that much experience in gifting properties, I guess. Well, it's called the market value substitution rule. Yeah, okay. That actually does ring a bell. I just knew that it was definitely a stamp, uh, a deeming for the stamp duty, that's for sure. Yeah. And presuming that she might, it might have been her principal place of residence and she's just rented it out within the six year period, she may actually be exempt. Yeah, that's right. So, mm. yeah, chat with um, your accountant for sure on that one. Um, smarter than us. Absolutely. Well, Johnson, I will um, talk to you soon. Thanks for joining Thank us you. today. You can catch John on the My Millennial Property podcast with Emily Wallace. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. Thanks for listening today. Remember the code words for the reviews. You have to use apricot or monkey as a code word when you write the review. Perfect. And in a few weeks, we'll see if I can read some out because that might be funny. But yeah, but it has to be five star. All right. Thanks, John. Right. We'll see you soon. All right. See ya. Bye. bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.